Good evening, afternoon, afternoon, evening. God bless you. You may have a seat, brothers and sisters. You may have a seat. And today, well, today I'm going to give you more time with some of your questions, any doubts you may have. I'll give you some more time, um, more so than what we'll what we will be reflecting on. And here in Hebrews one, we'll be reading some verses quickly, and then I'm going to give you the chance so that you may ask your questions. So we will be reading here in Hebrews chapter one. Always remembering or highlighting our Lord Jesus Christ as God, as the Son of God, as God, as that supreme being. This is what is highlighted in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is an epistle, a letter, um, most likely from Apostle Paul, and it writes here, and or it starts... God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past, so this is in the time of antiquity, to the fathers, for example, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they were the fathers. They were the so-called fathers. And it says he spoke in various ways. So prophecy, dreams visions and by the prophets this is what this is saying that god spoke in many different ways in the time of antiquity through all of these methods dreams vision prophecy prophets verse 2 has in these last days now the last days referenced here is concerning the evangelizing work in the time of antiquity, in the time past, well, it was the law of Moses, and God spoke through the prophets. But in these times, that it's now been 2,000 years or so, in that time, it was now 2,000 years back, and the apostle was saying, in these last days, in which the gospel has now started, the Lord is still speaking. Now God continues to speak to us through his son. Glory to the Lord. Now we today, we say it's 2,000 years later that God, in the time of antiquity, he spoke through the prophets in many various ways. Now today, God continues to speak to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit the spiritual gifts. Through the spiritual gifts, God continues to speak to us. Verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3, please read if you have a Bible. Well, what a very beautiful thing that is spoken here about Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I'll reread it. Who being, this is Jesus Christ, the brightness of his glory, of the glory of who? The glory of God the Father. And the express image of his person. 
Well, of the Father. Now, Jesus Christ was the express image of God. Now, we, we are a person. I am a person. You are a person. And, well, of course, this person has a personality. They are a human being. That's it. They have a conscience, a spirit. They think, they reason, they make decisions. This is a person. And it says Jesus Christ was the brightness of the glory of God because he was God himself and that he was also the express image of his person, of the person of God. That was Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lord. Now it continues to say, upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins on the cross of Calvary, sat down at the right hand, meaning he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, our heavenly father, having become so much better than the angel. So Jesus Christ here in verse four, that Jesus Christ has become much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For it says that nowhere in the Bible does God speak of the angels as he does of his son, Jesus Christ. And of the angels, well, it is said that they are ministers that do his will. But Jesus Christ, what the Father said is, you are my son. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Well, what did he begot in Jesus Christ? Well, that physical side, flesh and blood, that was what was begotten. For we know that the person... It is God himself and God himself with his with his power that he has. Well, what did he do? He used for a short time, about 33 years. He used his power and for just a time he became a human being because, well, there is nothing impossible for him. But I was not God's totality that became a human being. It was just a piece of God that became a human being. This is why it is said that it is God himself. It is he. And surely, maybe perhaps out of his shoulder, he took a piece and said, well, I'll turn this into a human being and I'll call it, call it Jesus Christ because it is me. It's myself. This is the mystery. This is the great power of God. And here... In verse 6, well, it continues in verse number 5 when it says, Today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But it was father, father of the flesh, that human flesh that he took on. He was the son of that human flesh he took on. This is what he said you shall be my son. I have begotten you. But it was God saying to himself, of myself, I took a piece. I became a man, a human being, because I have power to do it. I have power to do and undo, to build, to break apart. I have the power. That is God's power. And those are God's mysteries. And so, speaking of angels, God never said or expressed these marvels about the angels. He only expressed himself this way about Jesus Christ. But concerning angels, how did he refer to the angels? Well, it says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So the angels, they were spirits and ministers. 
that were serving or are serving God. And these angels are God's messengers as well. And God uses them for the service of his church. Now, we don't know how many times God has sent his angels to keep us safe or help one of us to come to our rescue. How many times has God maybe said to an angel, go, go to John because he's in danger and you will need to disguise yourself as a police officer and you will present yourself so that you may free John from the danger of death. He is being threatened. So you will be a policeman or even an army, a soldier. Oh, well, okay. Uh, An army will show up so no one will harm John. How many times maybe God has acted in this way to protect us, protect us of the dangers and everything that is around us, ready to attack us. And so to help us, like when people have a dream with a doctor or a nurse that performs a surgery that helps them and then they turn out well, they're healthy. Likewise, this is what God does with his angels, using people, using people and no one realizes it. We don't realize it. We don't realize in what time God has saved us, is protecting us through his angels because they are his ministers. Now I say, God has protected me. God has preserved me. But in what way? Well, I don't really care to know how it was, if it was through an angel or if it was directly or what God did, but he protected me. This is what's important, that God protects us using using his tools, his instruments, using the way God wants to bless us. And for God, there is nothing that is impossible. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was being persecuted by his enemies, the Jews, that persecuted him to harm him, to take his life, to imprison him, our Lord Jesus Christ said, I have power. And if I wanted to, I can ask the Father to send me an army. And he can send an army. And these armies will attack all of you and destroy you. But I do not want to do this. I want to be a human being that has mercy and that forgives and that is meek and that bears and tolerates and surrenders and loves their neighbor. This is what the Lord showed us. But he said, I am capable to bring an army. And so the Lord in this manner gave us a teaching on how we ought to behave in life. Just as he behaved as a human being, well, he wants us as well to do the same. And we will achieve it because he says it's possible. The Lord said what I do and how I am, well, you will do greater things than that. In the future, greater things you will do. And so glory to the Lord for he, in the moment of his work and function as a human being, he gave us a great teaching and he showed us his existence as he is showing us today. So this, this is how glorious our God is. And well, here this is how our, our Lord expresses himself about our Lord Jesus Christ and concerning the Son, the Father, he speaks in the following terms. Verse 8. So this is what he says about the Son. Your throne 
Oh, God. So God here is speaking. Now, he is not saying your throne, oh, son. But he's saying your throne, oh, God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom because he was what? He was the king. He is the king. Glory to the Lord. Very well. We continue in verse number nine. This is what the heavenly father is expressing about the son. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Here, he is saying, more than your companions. And who were those companions? Well, I am sure those companions were the believers in Jesus Christ. Because it is said that our Lord Jesus Christ, humanly, he is the older brother. He is the firstborn, humanly speaking. But divinely, he is the son of God or God himself in his divinity. In that human side, that human nature, he is the firstborn among many brethren of the believers of the gospel. Those who do God's will and now, in the other verses, it does mention in verse 10, it says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. This is speaking to Jesus Christ. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. They will have an end. But you remain. And they will, meaning everything else, nature, earth, everything he created, will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you, Jesus Christ, you are the same and your years will not fail because you are God. You had no beginning nor end. Glory to the Lord. In verse 13, it reads, But to which of the angels has God ever said anything similar? Please read verse 13. Glory to the Lord. So in verse 14, there's this a question. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth? So who are those ministering spirits? The angels. They are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. So this is why I say how many times has the Lord may have sent, he may have sent his angels to help us at any given time of difficulty in our lives. We are not alone. We are not alone. What is important here is that when we are facing tribulation, we are in a moment of difficulty, let us not say, Lord, send your angel to help me. Lord, send your angel to rescue me. No, because we have no need to tell God how he should protect us or help us. We only say, Lord, protect me. Help me, Lord. I I'm in danger. Please observe my situation and help me. And he will know who he will send the angels or he himself will directly work the miracle. Glory to the Lord. That's it. And so this is what this is saying. And now in chapter two, it starts to highlight the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so we ought to give him the glory and honor forever. 
and the honor and the glory be for our God. And now I'm going to give an opportunity to you to ask your questions. Good afternoon, sister. This is a promise of the Lord fulfilled that I would be asking you a question. My question is in the book of Exodus, chapter 30. Yes, sister. Verse 34. Yes, you may go ahead and read. And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, dacti and onica and galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. So my question is, when it comes to incense, what does it mean today? Because I know that in other denominations or Catholic churches, they use this incense, but everything is spiritual. And yes, symbolic. Yes. Everything right. is spiritual, symbolic. Yes, and exactly. Metaphors. That everything is symbolic. So my question is: Are they the prayers that we elevate to the Lord? Because sometimes I ask myself if if it's if it's a prayer or does it have yes. another significance? No, sister. They are the prayers of the believers in Christ. That is the incense. That today's incense. This is why in that time. The fragrant needed to be very pleasing to God. It needed to be pleasing to God and for him to accept and approve it. Meaning the person needed to be in well and good standing with God, upright, and this incense needed to be pure just as God had ordered it to be prepared so that later on it could be blown in the presence of the Lord. And so what that symbolized today, it symbolizes the believer's prayer. A believer needs to be in good standing before God so that their prayer is heard, so that God God answers them and blesses them and grants their petitions and God gives answers to their prayers. But if a believer is not in good standing with God, well, then God's answer will be delayed. That incense, I'm sure God will not accept until that person also changes and sets their life in order before God, meaning they have an upright life with God. Another question. Sister, good evening. I have, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous. Warm greetings from Switzerland, from all of Geneva. Sister, we love you. We love you very much. You have taught me how to love. You have taught me how to respect. You have taught me all of those values with love, with that love that we must have toward our God. And I give the glory and the honor to him for this opportunity you have given me to ask you this question. My question is in the gospel according to Matthew 22 verse 37. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Yes, sister, you may read. Twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sister, it's not, it's not a question. Sister, serving God, there are many cases that one hears about. I am a single mother, and I have abstained from many things in order to give God first place. And serving God, we see mothers that make a decision to get remarried with a brother, and they look to get laying on of hands, because everything is of God, but then afterward, when they come to us with that pain because that person 
mistreats their children because they have children or there's misunderstandings. We know that everything has to be half and half, but I want you to help us. The Lord has made beautiful promises and the church will grow here in Switzerland. And I want through that answer, our, our Switzerland, because it's ours as well, because we are here teaching what you have taught us with respect and value that we must love those beings that God has given us. We want to give an example. We want that love, that mercy, as the Lord has taught us to give God first place. May the Lord bless you. I love you. I love you in the Lord. Very well, sister. So are you in agreement with a person who says that someone who is single with their children, that they should not commit themselves to another man because their children suffer? No, I don't say that a mother should stay single, but it's what happens is maybe I'm not clear enough, but maybe I, I give my example. I have abstained from many things in order to give an example to my children, but there are mothers that get remarried they get laying out of hands. They make a commitment that they're going to be together, that they're going to live a life together in the church, but outside they're giving bad testimony. They are here every day, but outside they're giving bad testimonies and those children suffer. Th those children want that love. Okay. Well, it's a lack of wisdom, lack of understanding. There are so many things that happen. Well, when the commandment says, and the Lord was saying to this person, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that mind of that person always loving God. And the other commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we, when we say, what is it to love your neighbor as yourself? What do I want for myself? I want the best, right? You want the best. I, I don't even want a single cut to happen to me because it'll hurt and I will bleed and I don't want that. I avoid getting hit. I avoid uh, tripping because that hurts. So you see, we're trying to seek our, our well-being. We are trying to seek our well-being. We want the best. I don't want anyone to insult me or to aggravate me physically nor verbally. I don't want anyone to humiliate me or offend me. I wouldn't like that. And since I don't like that, well, then I should not do that to anyone. I shouldn't do those things to anyone because just as it hurts me, well, it hurts that person too. So why am I not considerate? And what I don't want for myself, well, and I don't want that for anyone else. This we call loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, how can a person destroy the happiness or the emotional stability of your neighbor? Well, with sins, adultery, fornication, theft, uh, murder, all of those things, with all of those things, you offend your neighbor. Now, it's not just uh, infidelity that maybe you found another man, another woman, not just with those kinds of things, you hurt your neighbor, but you also hurt them with deceit, a lie, with hatred, with physical aggression and insults 
and harming your loved ones and children. For example, in the sister's case, that there is a, a woman who is single with her children and then she finds a companion and this companion begins to mistreat the children because, well, they're not his children, so he doesn't treat them right. He's aggressive with them, doesn't love them. If he loved them and saw them as his own children and as human beings, as children that depend on an adult, well, then we would say that he loves his neighbor as himself. But as he does not love his neighbor as himself, well, then he doesn't care. So he causes these beings, these children to suffer. Now, this is what the Lord has always taught, that we ought to love people with greater reason. How much more do we love our brothers and sisters by the simple fact that they come to church? And I'm walking down the street and someone greets me. And when they greet me, I say, well, they must be from our church. And I ask them, do you go to church? Yes, I go to this one. I'm, my name is such and such. And I've been in the church for such and such time. In that very moment, I begin to love that person. I don't know their, their name or their last name or their family, but I begin to love them, to feel that affection and love. Because why? They go to the church and they're believing in God and they have the same father that I have. And so they become my brother or my sister. So I start to love this person and I start to feel consideration and empathy for them and affection. This is what I start to feel for that person. And if in that moment I need to maybe lend a hand to them to help them, well, then I do it with all my heart because they are a human being who knows God and goes to my church and knows the things of the Lord. They are my brother. They are my sister in Christ. This is what we call loving your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Now, I know we need to convert. There are people who come, like the sister is saying, people come and they don't change and they are out in the world sinning. And this is true. We must convert to God because we come here and it's good. We have prophecy and God comforts us, but we must convert to God. And converting to God is setting aside wrath and contention and pride, envy, covetousness, maliciousness. That envy and pride, that personal pride, we must set that aside. All greed, turn away from it, lies and deceit. We must start to abandon all of these things from our lives. Because with all of that, I harm my neighbor. I harm those in my home, my family, and I harm those in church. I hurt them. So I need to begin to change. And I need to change because I go out into the world and no one knows me. No one sees me. I am free to do what I want. But no, there is someone watching. God is watching me. He is observing my life, my steps. He is the one who rewards me. He's the one who grades me, not people. And so there are people who say, well, I'm alone here. No one sees me. I do what I want. No, God is watching you. And so we need to convert to God, need to change. And that's, it's not just coming here to church and seeking refuge, spiritual refuge, or for God to speak to me and comfort me, but I need to come and ask God to help me to change so that I can live an upright life as a Christian, as a believer and son of God, daughter of God. I want to be a son and daughter of God. And so let us fight. Let us make an effort for this. 
and let us feel love and affection, sincere affection. Let us love human beings, even if they are not my children. I will see them as if they were, and I will love them, and I will help them just as if they were my children. That is God's love that is in people's hearts and feeling that affection for other human beings without caring about race, color, or language. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they know God and that they are seeking him and they are making an effort to seek the Lord. So I need to give them all my being. This is what we call to convert to God. And this we also call loving God above all things and loving your neighbor and loving God. What is it? It is to abandon everything we call sin and please God. That is loving God above all things. All right. May God help us. May God teach us. May God capacitate us. And may he reveal to each of you and show you to change. And so that you may truly be children, sons and daughters of God. Another question. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Sister Marisa, it is a promise of the Lord that I would be before you. I have a question for all of us to read in First of Samuel, chapter 14. Yes, First Samuel 14, verse 23. Yes, sister, you may read First Samuel 14, 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Aven. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. And in verse 27, it says that Jonathan had not heard yes. his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, yes. he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. And I understand by doctrine that the honeycomb is the doctrine, the word of God, it's prophecy when we look for prophecy. There and is no interpretation here. It's not symbolic. My question is that he wanted to blame Jonathan when Jonathan did not make the people eat with the blood. And he asked who did it, and he wanted to give a lot against Jonathan. Okay, sister. Well, what happened is the following. Saul... He forbid the army to not eat food, that they had to fast. They had to fast in order to receive the victory from God, but that is not what happened. They were all hungry. They had no more strength. They were losing heart. They were faint-hearted, and they were not capable, but there was a test. The people needed to obey. Obey the order. Even if they're fainting of the hunger, they had to obey. Jonathan... As he ignored the orders of the king, that was his father, but it was his king, his majesty. And he, ignoring that, ignorantly, he took the honeycomb. Now, of course, this is sweet, so it has sugar. It, it produces energy. So it seems as though he recovered energy when he had the sugar from the honeycomb. This is normal. And so this is why he says, well, why didn't everyone eat the honeycomb? I'm doing well. I've recovered. Why isn't everyone else eating the honeycomb? But they said, no, the king ordered no one should eat. Now, here, Jonathan's sin is the fact that he wanted to unauthorize the king in saying, well, the king ordered something, and so we must obey the king's orders. But he scorned 
the king's order and said, Well, if the people had ate the honeycomb as I did, well, then they would be well. And they would have recovered their energy and strength. Now, his sin is criticizing and questioning and that nonconformity. And that happens today among us. It happens today in the congregations. Sometimes in the congregations, there are many people who question the preaching of the pastor or the order. And they say, well, if you do as I say, well, then I think it would work better. They begin to question and they think that they know more than others. And rather than respecting and saying, okay, well, if the pastor is giving these orders, well, it must be for a reason. God revealed something to him. I'm sure that's it. And maybe the Lord is testing us. We have to have patience. And what we need to do is obey. And rather, I'm going to pray to God, ask him what's happening, if I should do this or if I should not. But we must always beware and questioning, criticizing the superior orders that today we all think ourselves to be wiser than other people. We think to know more and understand more and to resolve problems better than others. And we forget that there is God's plan in the middle. And when God wants to punish, well, he allows that person in charge to make a mistake to punish them. God allows it. And so if God wants to bless, well, the same. But there are those who do question, who are criticizing, who think that they know more. Well, this is an example, an example of what Jonathan did. And so Jonathan, what happened with him? Well, he sinned. God was not pleased that he disrespected the king and that he sowed tears in everyone and telling them, well, the king is not right. He should have ordered you to, to eat the honey. But you see, everyone's dying. This criticism God punished, and it was a death sentence. A death sentence, and Jonathan's life was going to be taken because he broke the law. But the people voted, and they saved his life, asking the king for mercy, and that he should pardon his life. And well, God allowed all of these things, but God does punish. And we must beware in questioning and not criticizing. If you are non-conformed with the preaching, with the teaching, with an order, if you're non-conformed and you don't understand, ask the brother and say, you're ordering this and that, and I don't agree with it. I think things should be this way. Why are you doing that? I don't understand. Please explain it to me. This is what we should do before we sin. Before sinning, ask for an explanation and give maybe a suggestion. And the preacher will then tell you, well, you're right or you're not right. But things are being done because of this reason and that. But let us do things this way before we start to question and say, well, I have better solutions than that person who is in charge. And so you see the way in which we can sin and offend God and also offend our neighbor. And so wisdom before all, wisdom, prudency, and wisdom before all. Another question. Good evening, sister. May the Lord bless you. It is a promise fulfilled that I would be asking you this question. My question, I have, well, two questions about the same verse in Ephesians 6, verse 12. Ephesians six twelve. Yes, sister, please read. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
I have always asked myself about our duties in those heavenly places. And I remember that you many times... Our work there, sister? Our work here, sister? Yes. But that is my question, because many brothers and sisters have dreamt that family members die and say, we are here working and we are praising the Lord. And so I don't know. Yes, but there we won't have temptations or the traps of the devil, nor do you sin. Those who were condemned are condemned and the saved are there now. The devil is not there causing them to sin. The suffering, the battle is here while we live. In our life, this is where we battle with the enemy and those heavenly places. It is God's doctrine. It is God's gospel, living with God and turning away from sin, living a holy life, sinking to God, praising him. That is a heavenly place. These are the heavenly places. Now, in those heavenly places, God is there and the devil is also there uh, watching. Like, for example, he is here. He is watching and observing everyone's thoughts, what they're seeing, what they think. And the devil is also making fun of some and is furious with others. I imagine with me, his fury must be great. The enemy is there and he's thinking, oh, I'm going to harm her because I want her to stop speaking about God. And so we are fighting. The heavenly places in our fight is here, here on earth. And heavenly places, it is everything that we li live spiritually as it concerns to God and also that negative side, which is the devil, the devil's persecution, the bad thoughts and bad actions. All of that, well, that is a part of those heavenly places and fighting against the enemy. Okay, well, the devil has placed laziness. I don't want to go back to church. I'm lazy. I don't want to go back to church. This is a fight in the heavenly places. The enemy is placing laziness in me so that I do not come and praise and glorify God and learn the doctrine. The devil is placing contradictions in my family and obstacles. There is arguments, divorce, and insults and physical aggressions. Oh, okay. Well, this is a fight that we are facing and we must triumph. We must fight and battle, have patience and pray to God, cry out to him. And there we are fighting in the heavenly places. There we are in this fight with the enemy. The enemy is not so far. He is very close. He's nearby watching everything we do, everything we say. He accuses us before God. This is what the enemy does. This is the fight. And this is what this is saying here. That we are, our fight is not against a human being, but it is against those spirits evil spirits that are here in our environment and we call those that environment heavenly places meaning we don't see them but we are fighting we are wrestling against those forces of evil with the forces of good we are here with the forces of good trying to please god but as it turns out the forces of evil the devil is also there fighting against us so that we lose heart we stop believing in god and do not praise him that's it he wants us to sin, and if we sin, well, then we please the devil or we please those negative forces. That is the heavenly places that are mentioned here in the Bible, and that this is our constant fight. We, every day, we are fighting against this. Every day, because the enemy places traps. Now, when you become angry and you're full of wrath, well, the heavenly places 
are against you. Oh, I'm going to make him so angry so that he insults his family, his wife, his children, whoever it be, that they he offends them and then they too will be angry and then the battle will start. This is what the devil wants. And this is what that fight means. That it is not against human beings, but it is against heavenly forces. Now, when we say heavenly forces, we're not speaking of being in eternity with God, but it is concerning of some something we don't see, something that's abstract, something we feel, but we don't see. But that wickedness is there. Like sickness. Who places sickness? The devil. He places sickness in a person. So there's the fight. You don't see it, but you do feel the sickness. You feel the pain. You feel hurt when also you suffer an accident. And who generated the accident? Well, the devil. He's envious. He wants to harm the children of God. Very well. Let's continue. Or did you say you had two questions? Well, sister, I had understood it as if... In, in another life? Yes. <laughs> no. In, in our other life, we will not fight against the devil. There, everything there is with God. Now, of course, I say this with great optimism as if I was already there. Yes, sister. Well, I also wanted to know if the Lord has revealed anything to you because he speaks in symbolism saying that it is perfect and when he speaks about the church as the wife of the lamb what is that duty of a wife that the church what do we have if the Lord has revealed that to you well in this life we are believers we are believers we are the bride the wife spiritually symbolically we are the wife but physically well the spiritual gifts and the work that we have to do for God and live holy um, afterlife, then God will have work for all of us while we wait to celebrate that wedding, that marriage, and everything will then be a blessing forever. And so then God hides that marvelous mystery that exists for the time after that marriage of the Lamb, that everything will be a heaven, that the floor is transparent, that everything's made with golden precious stones. And that's what that talks about. And the Lord then left it up to our own mental capacity to understand and comprehend his mystery. But what's important is that he offers us something very beautiful in eternal life. Another question. Or are you done, sister? Another question. Sister Maria Luisa, good afternoon. I have a question in Deuteronomy 27, verse 11. Yes, brother. Deuteronomy what? 11. Yes, go ahead. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali, Sister Maria Luisa. Afterwards, in chapter 28, it speaks regarding the blessings of obedience and afterwards curses towards disobedience. These two mountains that are mentioned here of Gerizim and Ebal, aside from the Old Testament, if these two mountains have a physical symbolism or have other symbolism, 
No, brother. Everything was physical because the people of Israel were arriving to the promised land or the land of Canaan. Uh, once they crossed the Jordan and they passed on the other side, Joshua with the people of Israel, God gave them orders on how they needed, all the tribes needed to situate themselves and how they needed to then take possession of all of the land of Canaan that had many cities with their governors and they would need to fight against with their armies in order to defeat them and possess the lands, the peoples to possess everything. So they had a great fight. It was very strong for many years because of their disobedience. Well, God allowed them throughout many years to be in this constant fight and war. But concerning these mountains, that's something physical that God ordered the tribes that some should then uh, speak a curse. Others should then speak a blessing there on those mountains, but that was God's order that he gave them. And more than that, he just placed a lot of work and tests to see at to what point they would obey God and do things right. And since God appointed them so many tasks, so many different uh, obligations, they were not capable. They always failed God. They were never able to obey him. But all of that uh, was in taking possession of the land of Canaan. That was all physical. Yes, the land of Canaan, in a certain way, God had told the people of Israel it was a land that flowed with milk and honey and that they would be happy and have great abundance. But God also spoke, he was speaking in the spiritual sense, and it was a symbol of living with God, just as what we live today with God. Spiritually, we live happiness. We have hope and joy with God. And although there is physical suffering and in our heart, there is the hope that God helps me. He comforts me. He extends and lends his hand toward me. So we are living in this land that flows with milk and honey, filled with happiness and joy. Our spirit feels that, but our flesh, it does suffer. And there's that fight with the enemy. And in that time, that was the symbol that entering the land of Canaan was entering happiness and joy. And it was physical, but since the people of Israel failed God, they were not able to physically enjoy everything that God had promised concerning that land. And we, the believers in Christ, we are those who are now enjoying enjoying that blessing. They did not enjoy that blessing physically. That's it. Yes, Yes. Well, yes. In one of those mountains, they built a temple the, for the people of Israel, for the Samaritans. And there was a king, there was a Greek empire, I think it was the Greek empire, that built a temple for the Israelites there on that mountain. And they were told that there is where they needed to praise God. But God, through the prophets, he had said that it was in Jerusalem where they needed to have a temple. And all the people would need to go to Jerusalem to praise God in that temple. 
And this is why when our Lord Jesus, he came and he spoke to the Samaritan woman. Now she was an Israelite. The Samaritan woman was an Israelite. She was from Samaria. And in Samaria on that mountain was that temple that they had built for the people of Israel. And our Lord Jesus Christ was in Judea, in Jerusalem, which is where God had ordered that they go praise in the temple. Everyone should go worship in the temple. But because they were lazy and traveling or having certain expenses, they thought it was easier. Oh, great. We have a closer temple. This is why the Samaritan woman told our Lord Jesus Christ. She said, well, it is forbidden for the Jews to speak with Samaritans. So the Jews could not speak with the Israelites because there was now a division among these two kingdoms or these two peoples. And our Lord Jesus Christ said, no, he came to unite, to bring everyone together without making any sort of exception of cultures or people, but he would form one nation and he would teach them. This is why he taught the Samaritan woman to not think this way, that she too would receive a blessing because because she was shocked. She said, well, you're a Jew. How is it that you're talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, meaning I'm part of the people of Israel that has been cast away from the tribes that have been rejected. And I am being told that my fathers, that I need to go worship in that mountain. And you Jews say it's here in Jerusalem. So where is it? Where should we worship God? And the Lord explains to her and says, no, no, the day will come where neither in Jerusalem or in Gerasim, where that, where you have that temple, you won't worship God there because God is spirit and God wants his true worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. That was the Lord Jesus Christ's answer. And so thanks to the Lord, thanks to that. We today are enjoying the fact that we are seeking God in spirit and truth. Glory to the Lord. Another question. Good evening, sister. Good evening. We come from the church of Las Palmas Grand Canary, my wife and I. And truly, we love you with our heart for the good person that you are and for how well you explain everything. I have a question. And truthfully, I'm really not sure if if you will be able to clarify it because as much as I read the Bible, I see a little presence of women in the Bible. I don't know if it's for the little value that women had during that time or why. Up to there is my question. Well, yes, our Lord Jesus Christ, he worked the miracle because even when the, our Lord Jesus Christ came, women were still discriminated. They were just an object. They had no value. They had no vo vote or say. They were very submissive, only there to have children, to be at home. They, they didn't even go to school. Women did not have an education. They didn't even learn how to read or write. And our Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he revealed to Apostle Paul, and he says, no slave or gr Greek or Jew or servants, free or men or women. God doesn't care about that. What God cares about is the heart, a sincere heart for God. So there he then said, well, I will no longer observe if they are men and women. I will not discriminate. I won't make any distinctions between the two. But anyone who has a worthy heart of being children of God, well, God looks at them as children and even slaves and servants, because in the time of antiquity, servants and slaves had no rights. They never went to the temple because they didn't have a right. They were slaves. But now in the gospel, 
everyone, everyone that you call a human being, a slave, a servant, a woman or a man, the heart is what God observes in this being. And God then demands and expects holiness. He expects them and demands them to live an upright life, to know his ways and to work and have the spiritual gifts. And the proof of that is that God began to give spiritual gifts to women. And so aside from the fact that the Lord spoke of that, he gave spiritual gifts to women. And that's the proof. That's the proof. He gave spiritual gifts. So who can forbid it? Who can forbid it? For example, when Apostle Peter visited Cornelius's family. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. They were Gentiles. And the Lord told Peter, he said, go visit this family because I'm going to bless them. I'm going to save them and I'm going to work miracles in this family. And Peter arrived and spoke with Cornelius. He came by the revelation vision God gave him when suddenly Cornelius began began to speak in tongues and to prophesy he and his family and so peter said the gentiles well the blessing is for the the gentiles as well i thought it was only for the jews and now the gentiles they're also receiving the holy spirit they have prophecy who can forbid water so that i can baptize them in water if god gives the spiritual blessings who am i to forbid them from being baptized and so that's what peter thought and so if women if God uses them to work miracles, if they have the spiritual gifts, if they prophesy, if they work miracles and signs through them, well, then who can criticize? Who can dare criticize and say a woman is not worthy, has no voice or right to anything? No one. No one. Because the proof and the sign of it is that God gives those spiritual blessings to women. So God has dignified women in his gospel. With the gospel, God began to dignify women and to bring them out of the confinement that they had lived in for thousands and thousands of years. That's it. And so thanks to the Lord, God has called us all to freedom. But of course, without abusing that freedom, that we should not be libertines, but that we should use that freedom wisely, pleasing God. Now, brother, I hope that you understood. Yes, sister. Good. Yes, sister. Let's continue. Good afternoon, sisters, brothers. May the Lord bless you all. I come from Italy. We wait for you with so much love. I invite you to come since we haven't seen you since 2015. And I wasn't able to go that And just yesterday day. I was there. Oh, yes, sister. Well, there are true. churches that I have not visited in over 10 years. There are other churches I have never visited. And well, I don't know. Asking the Lord to give me wings to fly. But, oh, well, sister. the Lord... The Lord will provide. Yes, sister, go ahead. Yes, please. The first is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Exodus twenty twelve. Yes, sister. May I read? Yes, of course. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Sister, in... Bible studies, I see mothers, parents asking about their children, but very little do I see children asking questions 
about their parents. And for me, the ideal is that the children that are in the church have their parents together so that one day when God calls on them to serve, they can travel together and serve. But I do see that there are children that come with destroyed families. And I see that as years go by, the parents, they become fearful and they want their children to always be with them and I think to myself in my case my parents are separated I hear my mother and she gets married saying my daughter's leaving I hear my father and it's the same thing they both want me when they're separated but at the same time I want to live my life by serving God in different parts of the world and if I could, I would be in two places at once, but it's not possible. So, sister, how can a child behave with their parents in order for this commandment to be fulfilled without failing God, but also have wishes because children's wishes aren't the same as the parents and I see that when children tell parents I want to serve him with this language or this country and they say no I don't like the culture of that place and I hear all of these things and how can a young person fulfill this commandment but also their wishes well the commandment does not say that you need to live with your parents all the time the commandment does not say you need to live with your father and your mother every day of your life in the same house. No, or in the same room. No. This is saying you need to honor them, respect them, and need to watch over them. You need to help them. So children, they do become independent. They go off and they live on their own. But altogether, they gather money. They have a certain monthly quota to give to their parents so that they never lack anything. What do parents need? Well, they need someone to maybe cook for them and to help them clean the house. Okay, well, so let's help someone to go out there and help them. So all of us together will pitch in money and we'll pay a person to do all of their chores, washing, cleaning, doing all of these things, cooking. But Honoring them does not mean that the children need to live with their parents day and night. No, because then that would be slavery. Sometimes the devil uses this strategy to enslave adult children. I'm talking about adults now, those who are over 30. And so they, the devil enslaves them. He uses strategies so that their parents start to cry. I'm going to die if you leave my side. The father, I'm going to die if you leave my side. And so you live like a slave there and you don't live your life. And it's time for them to live their life. So parents should not intervene in this. Respect the decisions of their adult children. Now, of course... Children should never forget that they have a responsibility to financially support their parents, especially if they can no longer work. So all of the children, if it's two, well, then the two. Or if they are the only child, maybe they need to work three times as hard in order to help their parents to see how they can live without lacking anything. This is what it means to honor your father and mother. Respect them and watch over them, making sure that they never go hungry or never without clothing or have the basic things that all of the children 
children should worry about their parents and even if they are far or close. Now, concerning living with them, well, no, because then your parents want to enslave you and keep you by their side because as adults, you need your own independent life. And so what the Lord is saying... Don't let your parents go hungry. Don't leave them abandoned on the street. You need to be worried about them. And you need to all come to an agreement if there are many children. Well, if it's only one child, well, very hard for them. They have to work twice as hard, four times as hard to help their parents. So maybe they'd have to buy some type of insurance to help insure their elderly years. Okay, I'm going to buy insurance so when my parents can no longer work, they'll live off of this insurance because by myself, how will I be able to maintain two households? But wisdom above all, wisdom, understanding, and doing God's will. Another question. Sister, good evening. It is a great privilege, blessing, and a promise of the Lord that I will be asking you this question. I would like to thank you for the time that you have taken to teach us, to prepare us, to have this certification of the reward of eternal life. I have a question in 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. Yes. I wanted to summarize because the chapter is quite long to formulate my question. And chapter 13 has the title, The Message of the Man of God. And the verses narrate that this man of God went towards Jeroboam that was sacrificing with other prophets on an altar. Afterwards, Jeroboam cried out saying to arrest him to remove this prophecy. So then his hand withered away Jeroboam and he asked this prophet to pray to God and entreat the favor so God can restore him. And afterwards the verses state that this man of God, this prophet of God was leaving the city and another false prophet deceived him. So coming back he would disobey God and he shouldn't come back nor eat nor drink water. So the Lord... So to summarize, God took his life using a lion. So my question is, I see that the punishment towards this prophet for disobeying was immediate. While Jeroboam, who was also disobeying commandments, sacrificing, he continued with life. So then I don't know what it depends on for the prophet to lose his life immediately. Perhaps the support he had. I would like for you to clarify this for me, sister. Thank you. Well... Also, we see the importance of that person. The prophet was not so important. In that time, there were many prophets, and he was not a person that was of such importance. The kings were more important. They were those who everyone were observing what they were doing. So God punished Jeroboam, but his punishment was slow because starting from that day, he started to suffer and suffer and suffer the punishment. God he put him in a lot of moments of trouble trouble and haste until finally he and all of his generation, his family, died. They were all people who died by the sword. God punished them. It was a slow death, a punishment that would be notorious to all the people so that all could see the punishment that God had given to this King Jeroboam. But with the prophet, that was not the case because no one was really paying attention to that prophet. This is why he punished him instantly because he was going by unnoticed while King Jeroboam was not unnoticed. People had to see him in his splendor and glory and then see him in his defeat and how God destroyed him. 
And aside from that, all of that was also used so that other kings, other successors, and all the people who surrounded him uh, on behalf of the government could see that they needed to respect God, obey him, because a punishment would always come if they were disobedient. So all of that happened because of that. So now I'm going to allow the sister here with her question, and then we'll finish. Good, Good evening, evening sister. sister. Our hearts are rejoicing, rejoicing of having of you happiness, here. Of it having is a you promise here, fulfilled, a promise Lord, fulfilled that you would be visiting, visiting us as a surprise. We have been wanting have to wanted see you all these years, these years, and, and today, today is a that promise has been fulfilled, fulfilled by the Lord. Lord. May the glory be to God. Sister, sister I, have I have a question in the book of Isaiah from yes. verse from seven, seven through nine. nine. Chapter Isaiah chapter Isaiah, seven chapter twenty eight twenty eight okay Isaiah chapter twenty eight Isaiah twenty seven from seven to nine Isaiah twenty eight from verse seven to nine. But they also but they have, have also through wine, wine and through intoxicating and drink, drink are out, are of, out the way. of the way. The priest, the priest and, the and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. drink. They, they are, are swallowed up by wine. wine. They, they are out of the way out of through the intoxicating, way intoxicating drink. drink. They are in vision. They, they stumble in vision. judgment. They stumble for in judgment. Tables are for all tables are full no of vomit is and clean. filth. No place is clean. Whom will he teach knowledge? knowledge? And whom will and he whom make will to he understand, make the to understand the message? Those just weaned those from milk? Just weaned those from milk? just drawn those from the breast? drawn from the breast? Sister, Sister if, you, if can you can clarify these, clarify these verses, verses, please. please. The Lord here in Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, or to the people of Judah in that time. He was admonishing them. It was a wake-up wake call for a punishment was on the way. The punishment that God sent them, because since they did not obey the prophets, the punishment that came was when God sent the Babylon armies to destroy Israel, to destroy Judah and all of its inhabitants. That was the punishment. Now, here is the letter of admonishment before the punishment. So, God was speaking to them in a symbol, a metaphor, telling them, that everything that they did was wrong. Their tables, their banquets, everything was rotten. Just as it says here in, in the verse that you read, that they erred with their wine and through their intoxicating drinks, they, they never understood God's message. They never understood the words of the prophets to repent, but they were all full of evil. They, it says here, they were full of vomit and filth, and no place was clean. No place was clean in their hearts. So in all of the inhabitants, what ruled was sin until God finally was fed up and angry, and he tells them through the prophets, so who will you teach knowledge? The prophet is asking, who will you teach knowledge? There is no one to teach the true path and the true word to no one, but in the future there would be. So in the future, which is in verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, meaning 
searching through the scriptures, reading them. And it says, from for with stammering lips and another tongue. Now, this is in reference to speaking in tongues and the spiritual gifts. For it says he will speak to this people. And not even with all of this will they believe in me, the Lord was saying. Now, that did end up happening because in the, on the day of Pentecost, when they were all praying, the Holy Spirit came. And they all began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And the Jews said, they are drunk. They are crazy. And they doubted. They did not want to believe in the Lord. Only those who were humble, those that were humble in the people believed. But the principalities, governors, they did not want to believe in the Lord. And so all of these prophetic words from Isaiah came to pass. But, well, we are here as Gentiles. That is what we are, and God had mercy, and we have believed in the Lord. We are here seeking God. We are, as it says here, line upon line, precept upon precept, and the Lord would be teaching knowledge to those who have that understanding, meaning those who have an open heart for God, a prepared heart to learn, to love, and to do God's will. And so glory to the Lord that, well, we are all among this group here today and that God allow us to continue forward and reach that goal to the end of our days. Very well. The brother who is waving to me from all the way in the back, brother, what is your question? The one who's waving. I see you waving, but very quickly, brother. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you. Ich bin sehr glücklich, dass ich diese Frage äh, der Schwester Marie-Louise stellen darf, weil es war ein Versprechen des Herrn. I am very happy to be able to ask this question to Sister Marie-Louise because it's a promise of the Lord. Ich besuche die, äh, die Kirche in Wien und ich möchte Sie auch äh, herzlich da zur Kirche einladen. Ich weiß, dass ich heute die dritte Person bin, die das, dieses Gebitte an Sie richtet, aber ich darf vor meinen Brüdern und Schwestern in Wien nicht treten, wenn ich Sie nicht einlade. Um, I come from the church in Vienna, Austria, and I am the messenger that sends this message today to invite you to come to visit our church. Meine Frage ist, uh, bezieht sich darauf, dass um, ich das sagen darf als Österreicher, dass sie, wir es eine Nation sind, die was um, sich oft wegen Kleinigkeiten beschwert. I can say as an Austrian that we are a nation that many times we complain about small things. Und ich sehe das dann, ähm, dass in Brüder und Schwestern, die neu in der Kirche sind, ähm, zum Beispiel Gott gibt ihnen Versprechen, sie sprechen darüber, sie haben diese Freude, dieses Glück. Ähm, aber wenn nachher diese Zeit kommt, wo sie etwas warten müssen, eben um, um äh, ja, diese Segnungen zu erreichen, beschweren sie sich dann darüber. Sie sehen dann Kleinigkeiten in der Kirche und es ist dann schwer, diese Menschen äh, in der Kirche zu behalten. Dann verlassen sie die Kirche, nach einer Zeit kommen sie, sie wieder und meine Frage ist, um, wie? Um, ich, um, ich Sorry. I see many times how the brothers and sisters in the church, they receive those beautiful promises of the Lord, but they do not wait or have the patience for those promises to become fulfilled. And they complain for the smallest, silliest things, and they even abandon the church. Und meine Frage ist, wie können wir diese Menschen dann in der Kirche behalten und diesen, diesen einen Schritt uh, schlauer zu sein als wie der Feind? Gott segne Sie, Schwester Marilise. How can we fight and get these brothers and sisters to stay in the church and to be wiser than the wicked one 
and to have these brothers and sisters stay with us. We, as human beings, can't do anything. God is the one that works the miracle. God is the one that acts in the heart of each person. And he is the one that allows a person to continue in the church or leave. God is the only one. It depends on him. So the Lord says, you speak, you sow, and I will know in whom I will allow that seed to germinate and grow in. So the only thing we do is we speak, we work, we lay on hands, we prophesy. And God is the one who works the what? The miracle in the end. And he knows who to convert and who won't convert. And so we continue forward. We do our work. That's it. Now, of course, God bless you. And may God bless you. And greetings to the church in Vienna. Very well. Okay, fine. The last question. Go ahead. You'll be the last question, sister. The last question. Good evening, sister. I won't cry. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and give you a lot of wisdom and a long life because you teach us so much. You teach us so much and all of that wisdom that you have. My family has told me that I represent Israel perfectly. <laughs> and so I have looked in the Bible and I have found something that I want, sister, for you to teach us. To those of us who are new, those who are forgetful, and those who do not know how to put in practice in order to serve our brothers and sisters with love, with wisdom, and without fear. And this is found in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Yes, sister. You may read. You may read James 3, I, 17 I and 18. I forgot my glasses. I forgot my glasses. Would you want me to read it? In James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, and it states, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Yes, sister, I have asked this question because I want to make you happy because you always say that you are happy when we read the Bible and we ask you questions from it because it teaches us. So I want, sister, please, if you can teach me to have wisdom, wisdom from on high, pure, and to have love toward my brothers and sisters, to teach me not to be fearful to serve my brothers and sisters, to be faithful in my congregation. Sister, thank you for this opportunity that you have given me. May the Lord bless you greatly and each day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, the sister, she says, how can we learn to do things right? And she read here where it said, but the wisdom that is from above, meaning wisdom that comes from God, is first pure and peaceable, gentle, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so this wisdom is doing what is right, what is upright before God, before your neighbor, loving God above all things and more than all things, loving your neighbor as yourself. That is wisdom. 
not sinning, not doing bad, displeasing things and having hatred, wrath or envy, pride, uh, vainglory, having humility. So that is wisdom. That is the wisdom God gives. For here, it speaks of an earthly wisdom. So this earthly wisdom does not lead you to anything good. But only that wisdom that God gives does. And so let us ask God for that wisdom so that we may behave as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, as leaders, to behave wisely, always pleasing God and loving each other, loving one another with, with sincerity, without looking at each other's flaws, without scorning anyone or belittling, but being upright and sincere. This is that wisdom. So we say, Lord, give me wisdom so that I may behave well in life and do things right. Always asking the Lord for these things. Lord, deliver me. Lord, take away all of these spirits from my life and body, all the witchcraft, sorcery, demons, curses. Remove it all from my life so that I may be clean and pure and I am able to please you and to be a wise man, a wise woman. Have that wisdom and the honor and glory be for our God. Now let us stand, brothers and sisters, and we're going to pray to the Lord. We're going to pray to our God. We are going to pray to the Lord and give God thanks and to uh, say our farewell and to also ask the Lord to manifest himself with miracles just as he's promised. God has always promised every time that we congregate, every time we come together, that the Lord would manifest himself and grant his blessing. He will work miracles in the life of each person. So let us pray. Oh, blessed Lord. Holy Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God, creator of the heavens and earth, our Father, thank you, Lord, for this great privilege that we have had in knowing this path, knowing this word, knowing the Bible, of knowing that you exist. Thank you, Lord, for your manifestation, because you have given us proof and signs of your existence. And you've convinced us, Lord, that you are a real God. You are a powerful God that manifests in any place around the world. Even if a nation does not believe in you, even if a nation has never heard of you, you will manifest yourself and you will touch the hearts of those people who ignore your existence. And this is your work. These are the marvels that you will work, Father, for those are the promises that you have always made made. And we today, Lord, we are here before you, my Lord, and you have allowed that here in this country, your word to arrive, your name may be heard so that you are honored and glorified so that you may be blessed by all of those who you will give the opportunity to know your name. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, eternal God, and bless all the brothers and sisters. Bless all of the people this evening. Give a blessing to each person, healings in their body. Heal them of all diseases. Remove all psychological diseases as well, like witchcraft and sorcery, curses of the devil. Destroy all of that and remove all unclean spirit that binds the bodies of some people. Free, Lord. Give deliverance. Give intelligence. Understand to be able to understand your word, to comprehend your ways, your holy word, Lord. Give freedom.
freedom and give blessings, O Heavenly Father. Blessed and praised is your name forever and ever, Lord, that each person may receive your blessing, that each person may receive a portion of what you want to give. O Lord, bless and cleanse each heart. Give them prosperity. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, Lord. And take them back to their home safely. Every brother and sister, give them joy and peace. And give healings, Lord, happiness to each person. May you grant the petitions and the longings of the heart. And may you remove all binds and traps, remove hypocrisy, all lies. My Lord, thank you, Father, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To him be all the glory, the honor, and praise, now and evermore. Amen. Glory to my Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. Powerful is our God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to the King. Glory to my Lord. Cada día con Cristo me llena de perfecta paz. Cada día con Cristo le amo más y más. Él me salva y guarda y sé que pronto to the Lord. The honor and the glory be for our God. And thank you very much, brothers and sisters. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you.